0: Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people, make Quidditch what it is, and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Back to business for episode 28 as we continue with our series of interviews with people from across the world at Quidditch. Today we're taking a deep dive into the inner workings of one of the UK's most beloved teams with its founder and longtime captain. Someone I've had the pleasure of knowing for nearly the entirety of my involvement in Quidditch. The club he founded quickly became a reflection of both his charm and sense of humour, starting from humble beginnings before then qualifying for Europe for two years in a row, achieving a top 16 finish in their second year as a club, before going on to shock many by reaching the British Quidditch Cup final in 2017 by winning some little tournament called White Knights along the way. He's come from DOS to BOSS and back again many times. Loves good late-night curry, but isn't a fan of day two. Tom Ower, welcome to the pod. Is that it? Thanks, Rosa, for that. How <laughs> are okay, you doing? all right, mate? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good, man. Yourself?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Um, I don't know if, like, your listeners know how this works exactly behind the scenes, but I've just spent three hours downloading Skype. Uh, really <laughs> retro, actually. Um, and if this doesn't oh, work... Oh, technology. Yeah, I've managed to download BBM and Club Penguin in case this doesn't work out, so... Yeah, all good apart from that stress. Um, yeah, really looking forward to some and thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's great to have you, and uh,
0: it's a good chance to take a trip down memory lane and uh, talk about some good times uh, out in Bristol. Yeah. Yes,
1: I'm very excited about it. I'm. Uh, it's my great passion is Bristol Quidditch Club, still is to this day. Um, recently had our seventh birthday, I think, as a club. And happy birthday. And- they grow up so fast, don't they, really, in this day and age. Um, so, yeah, mm. looking forward to kind of, yeah, as you said, go down memory lane and look back at some of the high points and uh, forget about the low points, because there weren't really any, actually.
0: <laughs> all high, all highs. All highs. Fantastic. Right. right, let's jump into it. So kind of, I guess, pulling it back to before your time at Quidditch, who was Tom Ower before you joined the sport? Did you play many other sports growing up, or was Quidditch something... Completely new to you.
1: So I played every sport going as a child. I was always the kid that was up to something. Um, I used to live, well, I grew up in a cul-de-sac, I guess, with kids similar to my age. Um, So I was always coming up with different games to play um, for the road. I actually, I, you know, will claim to say that I created the sport of Muggle Quidditch as well, back in 2002. Yep. With some, um, old garbage bins and things like that. Um, we just played with footballs at the time and we used all our mum's mops from <laughs> from the kitchen, which she wasn't too happy about. Um, but yeah, in answer to your question, yeah, I played every pretty much sport going, uh, mainly football, I have to say. Um, when I started playing football though, I started at the age of five and I always used to pick up the ball when it came to me. I was an outfield player, I wasn't a goalkeeper. so. That was quite an issue. I was probably a bit slower than the other kids. Um, so every time the ball came near me, the parents would say, no, don't pick it up, Tom, don't pick it up. <laughs> I, I always did, and my dad would just be on the sidelines, head in hand, so embarrassed. Um, he thought that might be a sign for something. He was he was quite a good rugby player growing up, so he thought it might be you know a sign to say that one day my son will, you know, represent Scotland, our beloved Scotland, and uh, play rugby for them. Uh, so here I am playing Quidditch, and <laughs> he's, um, yeah, n- <laughs> not best pleased about that. Um, but, yeah, that is mainly football. I captained our school's fifth team. That's right, the fifth team. Because wow. my year group was national school champions, believe it or not. Some of them have gone on to play professionally. Um, and so there wasn't really room for average, you know, semi-amateur athletes like myself. So we just made a little ragtag team of individuals and we would go around to the schools that had the best food that was genuinely the criteria if they gave you food after the match we'd go play them so yeah i spent most of my time doing that but I, as i said i played every other sport growing up rugby um you know tennis squash everything so i played lacrosse the year before i joined quidditch as well um but apart from away from the sports side, I just, you know, regular lad, really, I guess, you know, went to an all boys school, which does does crazy things to you. Went on holiday every year to Magaluf, you know, in my late teens, um, you know, and then, yeah, Quidditch came. And it's complete culture shock, I guess, on that front. So, yeah.
0: OK, well, it sounds like a lot of stuff you growing up, like all the sports and things and yeah, I guess playing your own kind of version of Quidditch like in your cul-de-sac. Um, then obviously, captaining your your school's fifth team and traveling around with them, it all kind of set you up for what you go on to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair and saying I was as I mentioned earlier, I was always the kid who was wanting to do something and organize stuff and kind of made things up on the fly and kind of gave you know even the, the younger kids in the cul de sac a chance. You know, RG Forty One represent by the way. While I'm here, <laughs> big shout out to them. Um, they probably don't even know me actually. No. Crazy thing. Sorry, I have to mention this. Today I found out that my immediate neighbour growing up, you know, must be 10 years younger than me, maybe, um, moved to Dubai, has come back, went to Bristol, Uni. Guess what sport they've joined?
0: Quidditch. Ooh, underwater they hockey.
1: Play. No. <laughs> yeah, they play, they play Quidditch, which is just crazy. So I, I said my inspiration in 2002. Definitely led them on that path. Um, but yeah, I was kind of always equipped to, you know, take everyone as they were, organize things, maybe throw in a spanner in the works when required. And I think that really did set me up to, you know, go on and run a Quidditch team ultimately.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, so obviously, when you went to university, uh, you decided to found Bristol Quidditch Club, originally called the Bristol Puffs. Um, but how did you discover Quidditch and what led you to making this decision to found the team?
1: Very good question. So I can always remember in the cinema, every Christmas we'd go watch Harry Potter. So I I am a self confessor yeah, I'm a big fan. I like the films. I like the books, always kind of, and that was the inspiration behind the 2002 creation of the sport, you know, in the cul-de-sac was those films. But really my first interaction with, the real one, Muggle Quidditch, um, came in probably about sixth form. And I was, you know, trying to do anything but revise my A levels, which worked perfectly because I did rubbish in them. And I was looking through YouTube one day, and on the side sp- sidebar, there's a recommendation for the New York Quidditch World Cup. So I think that was World Cup four, I think. And there was about a 30-minute sort of mini documentary about it. I think Louie, um, who came on your podcast also. You know, found that same video. So I think it was quite popular. And after watching that, I thought, wow, this is like crazy. Like, I wonder if they, you know, have it over here in the UK. And I think at that point, it was probably around 2011, 2012 when things were, you know, starting to happen. So I think Keel were a thing, not quite sure Oxford were fully fledged yet. Um, but there was definitely, you know, something going on. So, when I looked around universities initially, I deliberately tried to choose universities that were offering this as a sport because, you know, I, I as I said earlier, I did every sport going and I was just really, well, even if it was just once, wanted to try this. And the uni I ended up applying to apparently had a Quidditch team. Um, when I got there, uh, so I put all my eggs in one basket. <laughs> and, uh, and when I got there, of course, happens to me, no Quidditch team. No question. They just said it to look popular, you know, on the brochures and everything like that. So bit of a shock. So that's why I ended up playing lacrosse in my first year. Any other stick related sport, really. That's what I was craving. Um, but so, yeah, after that, I kind of forgot about it, put it to bed a little bit, a bit annoyed that they didn't have a team. Got to the end of my first year and um, my lacrosse career wasn't going great. Um, I'd only played one game, which we lost 24-0 um, over in Aberystwyth, so worth the 10-hour round trip to go. Um, so I wanted to try something new and really kind of revisited that idea of going back and playing Quidditch. Um, and I spoke to my friends at the time and you needed 20 signatures to create a society. I think that's quite common across most UK universities. You just need 20 random people's signatures or you can forge them. I would highly recommend that if you're starting a team. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it kind of went from there. So I, I spoke to Isabella Aston. Uh, I never know whether they call it Izzy or not. So yeah, Izzy Aston. And she decided that she was going to set it up at the University of Bristol. And I'd set up at the University of the West of England, um, which is in the same city. And together, those two universities would create a player pool, if you like, to create the mighty Brizzle Puffs. So that's kind of how it came about.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I guess a, a what-if. Maybe if you'd, uh, I don't know, taken off your lacrosse career, we never would have got a, a Quidditch team in Bristol or, yeah, many things wouldn't have happened without that.
1: No, I can guarantee that my lacrosse career wasn't going anywhere, definitely. You know, <laughs> not quite hitting the the peak of bench ball. That that was my sport. That was my jam in primary school. Um, oh man. Benchball those, takes me back. That's it. But like, And for those who don't know what benchball is, it's essentially a much better version of Quidditch. You, know? yeah. you just go into any village hall or school hall, you get two benches, and you just throw it to someone on the bench and you score a point. And yeah, the adrenaline rush from that. Um, I think Exeter have a benchball society, you know? So maybe I should have gone there instead, but oh well.
0: A future venture, perhaps, who knows? <laughs> OK, um, so kind of in those early days, could you walk us through the process of establishing the club? Kind of what hoops, sort of actual hoops and like metaphorical hoops did you have to jump through to turn your dream, this dream you had in 2002 into reality? Like, And also within that process, which parts were the most challenging?
1: So another good question, definitely. Um and literal hoops as you said that was the big sort of question mark um as i said i had only seen there wasn't many quidditch resources back then i think people are very spoilt now for choice when starting a team of okay what well, it is how you make broomsticks and here's how you make hoops and i think the only hoop instructions that i've found uh, whilst looking was you literally get a bucket of cement you put the hoop in and you leave it to set and that's it <laughs> you cannot carry it at all um so i'd say that was probably the biggest challenge was just the the lack of equipment we were really lucky to have um people like bex and amen and will bus who had previously played and they were coming to join our team as well so i can remember our first taster session we played on the field the size of like half a football pitch so <laughs> if you got beat it's a long run back. Um, but as soon as they came to a session, they quickly rectified that, you know, these pitches should be a little bit smaller than half a football pitch. So I guess that really did help with that. And um, I'm not very practical at all. Um, I have bought a door upper of a house in lockdown, which was the best plan ever, seeing as I just cannot work DIY at all. So... I think honestly, the club would not have taken off if I hadn't been for the people around me. So people like Nuge, for example, who was my soundboard in the whole thing. Um, we both went to B&Q one day because I was too scared to go on my own because every time, even to this day now, I step into a and q or a Bunnings if you're from Australia or a Wix and I immediately feel... Uh, emasculated and stripped of all my confidence because I have no idea what anything is. So Nuge and I are wandering around this B and Q store thinking, you know, what the hell are we going to get? Where are we going to get all this plumbing equipment? Have to ask someone for it. And they say, well, what are you planning to do with this equipment? And nuge quickly says, Yeah, we're just fixing our bathroom mate. That's it. Save <laughs> that day. Uh, okay yeah, wasn't confident in our marketing strategy at that point to kind of go after anyone. Um, <clears throat> so I'd say having people like him and Izzy, obviously, to drive everything from the University of Bristol side and having Sam Senior, who still plays now, just with his infectious, and that is a compliment, Sam, I promise, infectious attitude really helped drive the club along. Um, and there's so many other people to mention, but I think if I'd just gone it alone, it wouldn't have worked. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's mainly the equipment, the traffic cones. Um, we legally acquired them one night. I can remember as a student days. I had taken my car, Rusty, which is now Rust in Pieces, uh, written off through Quidditch. <clears throat> and to make the hoop bases, we use traffic cones because that's better than a bucket of cement, right? um, Yeah, exactly. So I remember, you know, driving nude around Bristol and he'd make a little map because he couldn't drive. So he was always my navigator. So he'd make a little map of where traffic cones were, you know, when works were taking place. And it was the great traffic cone raid of 2014. Mm -hmm. It happened in one dark September night. Dusk had gathered.
0: Made the local news.
1: Under the cover of darkness, I decided to take Nuge out and we legally acquired those traffic cones and put them in the back of my car and sneak them off. It was, you know, maybe the greatest hustle of all time, certainly. So, yeah, that, that's, that was the biggest thing, really.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's a story that a lot of people who set up clubs can really relate to. Um, just kind of the practicalities of making the sport work and having the right equipment and financing it all um having awkward trips to be in queue like you did um did did wonder about that first um session you had with the um sort of half a size of football field How, how much did you know about Quidditch at that point like what was there any structure to that event at all or what went down
1: Fraser it's me is there any structure at all with anything I do <laughs> uh, that's why <what> I asked <laughs> no well in honest in honest answer like I'm someone who like you know on the face of it is like you write him off as dos or whatever which we'll go on to later I'm sure um I'm actually quite a driven person so I, I do like thoroughly research anything that I'm kind of like you know especially when like I've kind of got this persona of you know before being a bit of a lad you know to kind of then completely recreate yourself socially and throw yourself into Quidditch. Um I had to do the research for it. So I, you know, watched all those videos. Um and as I said, that not many resources at the time. So it was more of an interpretation of, you know, how do you set up a pitch? How do you do a brooms up? Those kind of things. And I think and my advice to anyone setting up a team now uh, from bare bones with nothing, Don't focus too much on the rules. Don't be someone who's like, oh, you know, this section under rule B 213. Forget that because it it doesn't work. You're just trying to sell them the concept, really, to begin with that. Yes, Quidditch is a real sport. Look, you're playing it. You're not really thinking it on a PBC poll, to be honest, but you are playing a sport. Um, And these are the basic principles of it. But don't delve too much into the detail of it because I think you'll lose them at that point certainly.
0: Yeah exactly it's all about that pure enjoyment Um, and speaking of pure enjoyment obviously you had sort of a few weeks of establishing the club sort of getting players in and then by November 2014 so like a few months after you were formed you and the Brizzle Puss played in your first ever tournament which was also my first ever tournament at Southern Cup in Southampton. So talk us through the experience of that tournament from your perspective. Like what did you expect going into it? And what did you gain out of the experience as a whole?
1: Yes. It's almost our seven year anniversary, Fraser. So happy I know.
0: anniversary,
1: Faves. That's <laughs> fine. Likewise. Uh, what people don't know is that you're very friendly on the surface of it. But that tournament, the first time we met, you shouted at me. And <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Yeah, can remember that. You, I think the thing is like when you're playing it for the first time we all come from such different environments so i think yeah. obviously for you you're quite like you're a sport nut you love sport yeah, yeah love and sport, i would yeah. say you know you're a competitive person but you're not someone who goes over the line but at the beginning you kind of see the raw version of those people yeah. so i can just remember because oxford were our hooch team right so we were supporting them uh, unfortunately and it just so happened that you guys, Southampton Quidditch Club 1, were playing yeah. in the final of Southern Cup. And that game got quite heated, didn't it, Fraser?
0: It did, yeah.
1: <laughs> said some very naughty things yeah. to uh, myself right. and Sam Senior. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think you weren't in the right headspace, to be honest. But you you did yeah. send me an apology after, which I, ha- I have here, if you want me to read it. Or... <laughs> you got it. You got it at hand. Of course, I, I do my research on these things. You know? <laughs> so it just quickly says, hey, hey Tom. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we'll <laughs> <laughs> it says, hey, Tom, hope everything is going well at Brizzle Puffs HQ, which it was at the time. we would just been to our first Southern Cup. Uh, I'm messaging you as I feel like owe oh, you and your team a long-awaited apology. This was two weeks after the two weeks. Uh, weeks. It simmered for that long, but you finally were the bigger man and decided that, you know what? I shouldn't have shouted those things at those nice people. You know, (laughs) it was a really good game of Quidditch. (laughs) Um, So yeah, a long way to apology for what I said to you guys during the final Southern Cup. I promise you, don't normally get that aggressive. Um, I just really wanted to win. (laughs) So yeah, sorry about that. I said at the time, but I really enjoyed seeing you guys play at Southern. There's a lot of potential there, and you guys could be a team to watch come BQC if you keep it up. Hope you manage to book a few fixtures like you advertised on QUK. And I thought that was really lovely of you. So wow. I thought I'd bring it up now because it is our seven-year anniversary. What a
0: blast, blast for the past, that. Uh.
1: People need to know the truth about Fraser Possford. But going back to the original question, sorry, that went off on a little <laughs> tangent a little there. Tangent about very um, we,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: We had made our debut the week before um, playing against Oxford Quiddlings, who were our official Hooch team. And we played Warwick there. Uh, the very, you know, fresh... Young Raced Warwick with uh, young Sebastian Waters was playing. I uh, can't remember if Jacopo was playing at that point. Might be um, Gareth Rogers, which was a boss on the past. Uh, Alan Willis. So, and I think there are about six of them, kind of thing. And we rocked up. We, we did quite well of our recruitment. We rocked up with a full twenty-one, fully in kit, everything. Um, got absolutely munched by them. That seventeen Warwick just very good. Uh, I think we managed to scrape a win, but it was very unconvincing, to be honest. Um, kind of made a bit of a fool of ourselves. Um, so going into that tournament, having played a game already, we were just pleased to be there. I don't think I ever set out with the motive to like just win everything. I was, you know, a bit of a realist about it, saying like it will take time to get to that level. We might not ever reach that level, you know. So I can just remember watching in. In awe, you know, watching how the Chimera's played and how you guys played and how Falmouth played, it just seemed like miles away from you know what we could possibly become. So, I think we were probably little, very ill prepared. It was the classic um, European Quidditch weekend of it was wet, it was muddy, um, it was windy, it was hazardous as hell. Um, I can remember Bidwell, who was the TD, stood at the top of the hill saying, make sure you wear raincoats, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. And basically unchecking every item because we hadn't bought a raincoat. You know, I think Luke Stevens brought along an actual broomstick that you, you know, actually sweep your porch with. Uh, (laughs) So just all those things. So it was really good for like team morale to go to that tournament and kind of not have any expectations and, We gave a fair few teams quite a close run. I think we lost to Reading, which I can't believe I'm saying now. Sorry, Reading. (laughs) But yeah, we lost to Reading, but it was a very close game. So I think after that, you know, having played Quidditch for four weeks, that's it. Playing your first game, playing your first tournament a week later, the momentum was just going. And that's really, I think, what a big part of why the club survived. Um, I think nowadays, you know, you might play you know several months especially in the pandemic several months without no nothing major going on there's no target to set and I think momentum slips then and you start to lose people so I, I feel that's I always tried to book fixtures you know every month at least just so we can say at the end of every training session right guys we've got this coming up make sure you know you are wearing your raincoat <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. so yeah I th- it was a really good tournament to begin with, and it was just nice to meet people. Really,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's a uh, great to hear you You've got such fond memories of that time.
1: Um, yeah, <laughs> i, I of... you do as well, Fraser.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I really like their sort of your approach to it because it'd be quite easy for sort of someone maybe like myself, it's quite a competitive person, to go in to go. Yes, we're gonna absolutely try our all. And we're going to try to go out and win every game, whatever. And then people then feel shit about themselves because they're not winning and they're losing all their games and it's pissing down the rain. But you were very, obviously, you said, like, very level-headed and sort of set the expectations very low. So people can just enjoy just playing the game and being in that tournament environment for the first time. Um, I remember on the Saturday night, um, the social was at the Hobbit pub in Southampton, which is iconic pub, all of the rings themed like all the different fellowship cocktails um yeah it was kind of a great, great chance to be sociable with people and then as i was leaving i saw a load of you guys going down the hill to uh the infamous club that is jesters jesters yeah, nightclub so on right. the sat- saturday night you guys went out and did the full sounds experience jesters on the saturday night followed by, i think by, by manzel's cheeky like sort of 3 a.m curry and then you rocked up and played us on day two, first game. And uh, you did pretty well considering, I thought. Um, but yeah, it's just that whole idea of no expectations. Enjoy yourselves, have fun.
1: Well, I think we lost that game 150 nil, Fraser. So your definition of doing well, that perfectly suits us. <laughs> yeah. ethos. Um, I, I would say, like, it obviously doesn't work for everyone. Um, you know, you're never going to have everyone fully on board with your idea. Um, I'd say there might have been probably a couple of people who would probably class themselves as competitive in that first team um, the first time I went to the tournament. And I do think they enjoyed it at the end. Just, you know, it's a different kind of pressure. Like, you know, you might have been raised playing sport and you you grew up with it and you're super uber competitive and you're a sore loser when it comes to losing. But I think you just have to face reality. I wasn't going to lie to the guys and say, Guys, we're going to win the tournament, you know. It wasn't really like that. And I think part of that comes down to my experience of playing sports. So it was always not, I would say, a reasonable sports person, definitely, but it was never at maybe the highest level. So, for example, once I started picking up the ball in football, um, I quickly went down from our A team to our D team or whatever. And uh, I won the Golden Boot that year with three goals. Three goals. You, know, so, you know it's it's uh it's kind of like you know have a bar keep it low to begin with read the room um and you know you'll you'll get you'll get there eventually and I, i'm pleased that you know when we did proceed as a club we we weren't keeping finishing in the bottom we actually did you know reasonably well
0: yeah true We we've kind of talked about the subjects like just now um so obviously with the Bristol Puffs you quickly get you quickly sort of cultivated this unique reputation and like culture as a club um it's kind of this sort of fun happy-go-lucky sort of underdog team um that I think people really gravitated towards so how did how did you go about creating this environment and what was it that kept people coming back for more and wanting to play for the Puffs?
1: So I wouldn't say it was particularly done on like purpose. Um, I think certainly after that first game where we played Warwick, and I had called them out before the game, saying that, mate, you've got seven players, you've got no kit, you got no fans, you got no. <laughs> fans, yeah. And here's us boys rocking up full 21. Yeah, we've only been on the street for three weeks, you know, uh, I can't we're here, ready to play. And I called them DOS. And I I said, mate, your DOS, I said to Sebastian Waters, make your DOS, yeah? You don't even have kit, right? So within, you know, a minute of playing, we were 30 nil down to that ragtag team of seven people, you know? It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So my way of keeping sort of people involved would be to assume that, like, we're never out of the woods, you know, and it's such a shame now that so many teams have like you know 10 people maybe max you know not even that coming to training that was always my worry is that you know i one day there'd be five people you can't train what do you do people do do it but there's just no spirit about the place so i think with that first year especially we did so many events to say you know you have to bring a friend with you i don't care who it is I don't care if it's your mum for christ's sake you're dragging her out you know and we're going to play quidditch in a muddy field and that worked we got a lot of people through that so people like um i think josh blannon and emma isle came through that sort of you know i think jody brought them along um but it was almost just the ethos of like we're never quite out of the woods um you know we need to survive till next year and i think just by having you know we ended up having loads of people in the end you know i think we had about 80 people turn up to our first taster session and really created a good energy in itself it wasn't really anything that we did particularly from like the coaching team like i did try to keep it as fun and as accessible as possible um but i'd say they almost created their own energy you know and just kind of spending all the time you can together so we always went to the pub after training it wasn't just a couple of people went, it was the full squad went, and we took over spoons, you know, we moved all their tables, even though the staff grumbled at us, you know, we would do that because we knew that was important, you know, and we funded that Spoons for a year, <laughs> pretty much. So <laughs> um, I, I think just doing simple things like that, where, you know, you can say, bring a friend to the next session, and if you don't, I'll be on your case, kind of thing really just does help all, you know it doubles your growth if people stick to it it will double your growth at least
0: okay that's really good advice especially for a lot of the university teams now I imagine after the pandemic will be struggling for numbers so it's great to share that um you talked earlier about momentum and sort of having I don't know a fixture or a tournament coming up so kind of that kind of hanging over you the whole time but as you mentioned there as well like try to keep this energy within your training sessions. Cause you think about it, like you may have what, three, four tournaments a year, something like that. Like that's, I don't know, five, six days of Quidditch maybe, um, to get people excited about it. Whereas the most Quidditch people will ever do is in training. And there's a lot of people who don't get excited to train like it, they just think, oh, oh, I can skip that. I've got this thing to do, whatever. And then the tournament they'll turn up to the tournament But to make people like want to come to training and sort of invest in the club, invest in the people, going to the pub afterwards, making friends, all of that. Yeah, all kind of creates that environment that you want people to be a part of.
1: That's it for sure. And I think my kind of going back to like coaching styles. I had a part time job um, working at a leisure centre and I worked in the creche part of it so where basically people would come and drop off their kids and go christmas shopping for the day and leave their little terrors with me and there would always be this one (laughs) well yeah (laughs) well there was this this one kid and he'd be like seven years old and he had you know i'd say anger issues certainly because he would just for no reason would beat the shit out of me (laughs) i was trying to do my job you know i couldn't tell him no You know, his mum has paid for him to be here to pretty much beat the shit out of me. Um, So it kind of got to the point of when I kind of sensed he was getting bored, I'd have to change it up. Otherwise, I'm going to get beaten up by a seven year old. (laughs) Fear of my own life. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of really took that into coaching to say, right, we're going to work on a drill but I'm not going to go over it for 45 minutes. You know, I'm going to do 10 minutes. And as soon as I can see one person getting, you know, a bit distracted or a bit bored, I'm going to change it up. Um, Usually often on the fly. Uh, So it's quite, you know, demanding. I didn't actually myself train a lot as a player my first year. It was more of like a backseat. Well, you know, I was a coach essentially. So I didn't, you know, do laps around the pitch. That's how I got out of it, really. (laughs) I don't have to. yeah, it, it was kind you know you'd finish and you'd be exhausted pretty much, you know? So it'd be kind of just think again, back to my childhood, you know, creating games so that people can kind of you know, all get involved, but it doesn't go on for too long. So, yeah, that kid in the crash really inspired me definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, that that wasn't <laughs> what I expected you to say at all, but I love it. I love it. It's true. um, so one word that is often. Sort of associate with Bristol Quidditch Club is the word "dos." Now, I think within the UK, this is a word we kind of understand, but this is international podcast. We've got listeners from all over the world, so like you now, kind of within the context of Quidditch, but also generally, how would you define "dos"?
1: If you want like an official Oxford Dictionary definition, you can look it up yourself. you know, that's kind of me being DOS. Just go do it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It it genuinely means to like slack off. That's kind of like the most commonly associated, you know, definition of it. For us as a Quidditch club, it it really started with that first game when I called Sebastian Waters out for being DOS. And then they did the dirty on us within a minute, you know? And it was, I think you ask anyone on that Bristol team, and what DOS means. And then all the definitions would be different, which I quite like. Um, you know, it would mean something completely different to other people. For me, I'd say it's almost like embracing being a bit shit, you know, and accepting that in others as well. Like, you know, we play with such a diverse range of people, people who have, you know, big sporting backgrounds like yourself to people who never really, you know, participate in sport because and they don't don't have a good feeling about playing sport you know for one reason or another. But yet we are all playing on the same team on the same pitch and we have to make it work. Um and if it doesn't, that's okay. You know, you live and you learn. So I think that that for me is what I would define as DOS is just sort of embracing it, you know, and sometimes getting away with it and you know pulling off a great hustle or you know kind of landing in your face I've been okay about that and that's why I really enjoyed playing Quidditch because I think that's one of the only sports you can really let yourself do that okay that's that's
0: that's weirdly profound I must say um, so yeah I also think like within that as you mentioned the different kinds of people you had within the club so I think it's like a good I guess safety mechanism for people to sort of go oh if I make a mistake, I drop a pass or whatever, or I look, I make myself look, look like an idiot, I can just laugh it off and go, oh, that's DOS, whatever. And then people are laughing with me rather than at me.
1: That's it. Yeah, you've pretty much nailed it. You should join our club, mate, definitely. <laughs> um, but I tell like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my other part-time job growing up was a football referee kind of thing for kids. And I would absolutely hate it. If one kid turned around to the other and said, what do you do that for? Like, I was wide open. Why did not you pass to me? Kind of thing. Um, And just like, you know, you can kind of see the other kid just really crawling up inside. I I never really wanted to have that environment ever. And if it ever did happen, I shut it down quick because I knew like, you know, the, the people who genuinely did it would usually be people who had played sport, took it super competitively. Um, You know, and there is a time, there is a space for that. Definitely. I'm not saying that, you know, if you have that attitude, Quidditch isn't for you. I think you just have to be open to the fact that so many different people play it. And those people who might lack confidence, you know, you say that one thing to them, they might not ever come back. And it comes down to, again, you're not out of the woods, you know, you need to be having a, a decent group of people to keep a club surviving. So if if I had got that a sniff of that from any of my players, it would be, you know, I would pull them aside and say that's not on. Like you you can't be like that. You know, our club survival's at stake and you're putting it in jeopardy by, you know, saying, Oh, you missed that pass. Doesn't matter, grand scheme of things, you know. We're still here. We're still surviving.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's a really good kind of standard that you set for sort of the members of the team and sort of over time, yeah, people bought into that and, yeah, created that environment and culture that you wanted.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that was essential for our growth, really. I think, you know what, the the club did evolve over time. You know, it started off by being that to the extreme. So, like, you know, you got to let people make mistakes because that's how they're going to learn. You can't get at them. I gave everyone equal game time as much as I could. Um, I didn't play myself sometimes just to make sure that happened. Um, and then you know, as the seasons go on and on and on, I quite like that we still kept that a little bit, you know, for three or four seasons. And then it started to get to the point really where, you know, I, I was I was I'm such a laid back person, Brazer, honestly. And I could go into anything and be like, you know what, this is okay. But it got to the point where I started to worry before games and think. You know what i'm not really enjoying this pressure that's put on me i like being an underdog i like being able to have the space to make a mistake you know uh, whereas now we're everything on the line and you know what if you lose to swansea who are a good mid-tier team then mate your season's over you're the laughing stock now because you've, you've got to that point you know and i think that's where i stopped enjoying it as much i still enjoy it i love love the sport but where in myself, I felt I wasn't as confident going mm. into
0: it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, certainly makes yeah makes makes a lot of sense. And, uh, it's good how introspective we're getting <laughs> in this episode.
1: It's all right. You you've twiddled my mind now, phrase. <laughs> <what it>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So sort of speaking of toss, um, as well as running Bristol Quidditch Club. Uh, you twice ran an event called Looking Flies All-Star Weekend, once in August 2015, and then again in August 2016. Uh, so could you explain to us what this event was all about and where you got the idea from?
1: Sure. So it's after our first season of, like, fully playing, um, and I'll be completely open and transparent with you. I was heavily in my overdraft. Um, <laughs> I needed a way out of my overdraft. I thought well, I don't really, you know, want to be earning five pounds an hour behind a bar, particularly, um, which I did do that summer. Actually, speaking of, um, I thought, what's a quick way to get rich? And I had seen <laughs> how Valentine's Cup had been a tremendous success, and you know, none of them took the money from it; they all went back into the club and into the sport, which is exactly what you should be doing. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. The invent the heavy investment in Quidditch equipment. You know those traffic cones were very expensive when we nicked them. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of, course, of course, yeah. And you know to get rusty the car. You know I I'd lug those traffic cones in the back of my car after every training session. So to get rusty through its MOT, it needed a lot of investment. So I kind of thought, right, well Oxford clearly made some money from the event, um, and if anyone from Oxford wants to comment and say we didn't that's absolutely fine but i know you did <laughs> um might, maybe we could do the same you know and we could do it with less people and we won't pay our referees because that was that that was the real money hinger people on goodwill will referee for free fraser if you put you know you say here's a free entry to this really yeah. does talk, and, you know you'll referee for free it's fine So really irresponsible of us. But um, the inspiration for it came behind. So I I used to watch all the sports growing up. So NBA, obviously, are probably the most famous for it. They do an all star weekend where there's several different games, really things like the slam dunk competition, uh, the three point competition. So they get like the best athletes from the sport to compete in these almost mini games, if you like. Um, and I thought that that's a really good idea for Quidditch, you know. There's people doing just Quidditch tournaments, but is there anyone really kind of – there's no one doing it at the minute. And I think since then, since Looking Fire was a thing, I think there's been a couple of sort of similar ones. I think the one that Jay ran recently this summer. I can't remember what that was called. The
0: you know Jurassic what? Cup.
1: That's it. So that was one of the fancy points and everything, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, the fancy, yeah. fancy Quidditch, so yeah. yeah.
1: It's kind of like with a twist and i always love and i still to this day will watch children's tv programs uh like game shows like 50 uh if you're uk-based best get best Ooh, TV program in the ever past. Made, and jungle run things like that so i thought well oh. i can definitely there's there's market here to you know put on a quidditch tournament get the community together over the summer in the off season um and add a twist to it as well. So that's kind of my inspiration behind it was to put together loads of these minute to win it games and to kind of put things like who's the fastest player, you know, in Europe, Quidditch, you know, put that to rest a little bit um, and it was really popular. I was, um, yeah, I was taken aback really, at, you know, the amount of people that signed up for it and put all their trust in us um and it's probably after the sign ups when we realized oh shit, we've got to run a tournament now How we yes. <laughs> you know so uh myself and nudge who was the other tournament director um we would you know spend our evenings planning it um putting out exciting announcements um it was the birth of capture the flag with bludgers that was one of the mini games for example that we did um still you know had so much potential but never went anywhere so range from things like that were quidditch related to other events such as the cheese grater challenge,
0: the cheese grater challenge. I,
1: you know um I think
0: and, people still got injuries from that you know
1: yeah genuinely Ray <laughs> uh, has shown me his scar i think alice walker also has a scar from it um and it's essentially what it says on the tin it's you get a block of cheese and you're representing your team at this fantasy event. Who can grate a block of cheese the fastest? Yeah. And if you're the fastest, then you win and you get points for your team. So it was just kind of silly things like that. And it really brought people together. And I think the camping element of it really, you know, helped. Um, and, you know, people were coming up to me and say, oh, this is like, you know, the most fun I've had at a tournament. And I was like, shut up. I'm really sleepy right now. I need to go to bed um because it is exhausting um i probably wouldn't do another one put it that way uh, which is a shame sorry to spoil yeah. it guys. <laughs> um, but i think the first one louis came to it he had a couple of the belgian kids i think he won mvp at that tournament and it was after the um european games in italy where i think ollie craig won that big plate really yeah, nice yeah. decorative plate so we thought our mvp in true dos fashion should get a plastic plate <laughs> Something like dry white pen, written on it saying "MVP, you're the best." So I think I hope Louis still has that somewhere, and that he eats off it every day. Uh, if not, I'd be very disappointed.
0: Yeah, uh, Louis, if you're listening, please please confirm. We'd we'd love to know. <laughs>
1: yeah. I want the accompanying cutlery set as well, that I definitely didn't include. <laughs> but um, I think you know, in terms of running that tournament, you kind of prepare for everything um every eventuality and um you don't prepare for the literal shitstorm that happened i guess
0: <laughs> oh man was that was that part of your notes as well
1: <laughs> yeah had that one lined up for a couple of weeks now fraser so good. yeah not the one <laughs> if you were there you know put it if that you way know, you know if you know, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's great to talk about it. Um, so I managed to go to both tournaments, myself. and as you said, like it was just kind of a real, I guess, like sort of breath of fresh air, basically in terms of like going to a Quidditch tournament and just having fun. Like there were games on the Sunday, and like you wanted to win the games. Like people tried to win and played well, but it didn't really matter what happened. Um, and I think people just enjoyed that relaxed nature, having the sort of ridiculous games on the saturday like the Sam dunk contest and the cheese graying and the broom tossing and all of that plus obviously you had like the saturday night which like it very much felt like a festival the camping and stuff we of course we had the rat bowls, um oh, no. uh, which was something else um <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure there's still videos out there somewhere on the internet of yeah. what happened with that and uh all the other not so <laughs> pleasant things that happened too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just like some of the best times that a lot of people had in Quidditch, you went to those tournaments.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, people can kind of look back and, you know, you look at, you know, if, if you're a successful player, then you've won medals, you've done really well at tournaments, you've travelled the world, kind of playing the sport that you really love. But I think for some people, they kind of come back to that and it's like, you know what, that was a time I had no pressure on me to do well Um, I was surrounded by my mates all weekend, pretty much. Uh, We could kind of literally do what we want. There was no security on site or anything like that. So, you know, people are up till God knows when uh, making a racket. So, yeah, I'm pleased that we managed to put on that event and that people still look back at it fondly despite the shitstorm. But, yeah, (laughs) um, yeah, really good fun.
0: Yeah, I've just noticed on my desk, I've still got my sexiest goal ref. A trophy, that's Dude, been sat there. Pride of place.
1: That wasn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pleased sure about that. Is that uh, at the top of your trophy cabinet? Pride of joy on my desk, mate. Pride of joy. It should joy. be there. It uh, be. They, they came from Tesco, 24 pack, two pounds. Brilliant. Great you know?
0: Yeah, I appreciate the effort. Uh, right. But yeah, it's just great to, I think, also just like casually hang out with people from Quidditch, like without the pressures of. Obviously, it's a tournament, but also like not a tournament where people are trying to win or necessarily get the big trophy at the end. Um, Like, there's so many like chances just to talk with people casually and get to know each other that bit better. So in many ways, a lot of people who went to those tournaments really kind of bonded as a community and really helped create that spirit across the country.
1: Yeah, I think especially like, you know, you say people weren't going for the big trophy. They were going for the big plate. This time, yeah, you know, everyone's <laughs> owned up that plastic plate for sure. So, well done, Louis. You won it deservedly. Um, but yeah, as I said, it's just a time where you know the pressure wasn't on. And I think you know, you go to most tournaments, and like as a member of Bristol Quidditch Club, we're always wanting to go out, we're always wanting to, you know, let's go out and do something, you know, and meet people and go have curry and do this and do that. But I think what you find with a lot of tournaments, like even back then, is that you know after a really long day of standing in the rain you go have a shower and then you you're so tired that yeah. you don't do anything whereas i think at that sort of event where the camping was on site and every, i think 95% of the players stayed and camped so you know you had about what 120 people um, all kind of buzzing from the day and you know having a little barbecue or whatever and it's just it's just really nice and it's one of those you know, a few times that I can remember something like that happening. Every, everything was almost like, oh, you know, we've got day two. We've got to go shower. Yeah, we want to eat as a, as a team. You know, I don't know why people do that, you know. Just all, all bundled together, you know, if you can.
0: Yeah, it's one of those few times where you get to mix with other people and other teams and create That's those it. connections. That's it. Yeah. And, um, so obviously with Fives All-Star Weekend, um, well, it worked, and w- w- many of your ideas, are like but many of your ideas. They they work, and then they fall apart at some point, and we all have a laugh, and it's great. Um, yeah. So, besides All Star Weekend, you've had many ideas and projects down the years. Some of them crazier than others. So, could you talk us through some of the more elaborate projects you thought of that, fortunately or maybe unfortunately, never saw the light of day? Of what ideas you got there. Yeah.
1: That's a good one. You're tapping into the vault now. <laughs> Everything up here. So, I think you've got nuge to thank for that really because he as I said earlier, he is my soundboard even to this day. Like, you know, I'll message him with an idea and 95% of my ideas never leave that point because it goes to nuge who is my guardian angel pretty much sent down from heaven to look after me on this planet and he'll say no, that's stupid you know don't do it so uh, there's been several things over the years that have not seen the light of day as they should be in their full glory you know right now we could all be you know having tournaments in Magaluf every every year but no that's not happening so there was a couple things I kept back from him and almost went through with um probably my favorite little project was i think it was BQC2016 um so we'd only been at bqc a couple years from that point and i didn't tell anyone about this at all but you know american sports and they have the big sort of bands that play alongside like the marching bands yeah, you know all the trumpets or the fanfare everything so our uni had a sort of society a bit like that like a big band kind of thing and i think they'd go out for american football things like that and i think it was I think I only had the idea like a week and a half before BQC. (laughs) I thought, Wouldn't it just be insane if that little band, you know, I I only needed a guy with a trumpet for Christ's sake. I could have done it with him. But um, yeah, so I basically messaged the big band society (laughs) there. And the guy I initially spoke to was well keen for it. Right. He said, yeah, let me speak to my fellow brass players. Probably that's what they call them. I don't know. And uh, we'll let you know. But this sounds like a really awesome idea. I said, we're playing at this national tournament and it's in uh, Rugeley, you know, best town in the UK or whatever. Um, Holy grounds. Yes. The holy grounds. So I wasn't going to pay for their ticket or anything like that. But I said, you know, it would be a little good PR stunt and it would really help sort of the team. So I didn't tell anyone on the team about this at all. I was just hoping that, you know, secretly in the background, it would transpire and on the day suddenly they come up and they're playing when the puffs go marching in and stuff like that Um, pitbull's
0: hotel room maybe
1: that's it that's it so but the man with the cornet came back and was like nah sorry boys like i've looked at the weather forecast for the next two weeks we cannot possibly if you cannot provide adequate um support like a marquee or something like that it's a no-go so i was very close and i would that's probably my biggest regret in quidditch is not getting that little brass brand <laughs> it would have been a beautiful thing and just to see you know other teams react to it you know that would have been absolutely class um and then i just yeah the other little projects that i won't go into too much detail about would be probably the quidditch uk pantomime oh that's yeah i was just thinking that hmm. that was a really early project when i was just kind of like let's do everything at once you know and forget that people have lives (laughs) let's just do everything and i thought Bidwell would make a really good panto villain and that's kind of what inspired it it might have been like you know most of these ideas come from just driving in a car or going to mackie d's with nuge you know sharing a chicken nugget box and be like wouldn't this be like something fun we could do and it would that would be as cute Mm to say no that would be a terrible <laughs> yeah you know so yeah BQ uk panto and i really wanted to do a barn dance so my girlfriend is a vet and every year um uh, so as part of the veterinary um degree they basically had a big barn dance at the end of the year where everyone dressed up as cowboys and they played big music and they had this like proper barn for it and everything with a massive bar and i thought that would be really good for like if we can get i think that's my one thing about I think just everywhere. I can't really speak for the USA because I don't know enough about it. But everywhere else, I think there's so much untapped potential in getting the community together. Things like awards evenings or, you know, just an opportunity to not to meet and maybe not even play Quidditch. I think that's probably a really untapped market, which, you know, I think if I was still like an active playing member, and, you know, volunteered for QUK. I think that's something I'd definitely be pushing right now just to get people back, especially after COVID. You know, people have strangely missed each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sort of making events as big and bombastic as possible. Um, that's it. Yeah. Re- really wish we would have got the uh, the marching band. That would have been um,
1: incredible. Like, been the iconic.
0: Iconic. Yeah. I'm so, yeah. so gutted that didn't happen, but <laughs> it's great yeah. to hear about all the different things that you've come up with over time and you mentioned there kind of the barn dance thing and like the idea of a like i don't know prize and awards and things you also had here's the idea for like a uk community shield as like yeah. a sort of a big kind of end of year awards thing and like i think like a match between like two teams or whatever just kind of yeah again like a more friendly tournament where people could mix up and sort of enjoy each other's company basically
1: that's it, yeah. Because I think Merck tournaments are really popular. Like I had a really good time going to like Barcelona, as I know you did as well. You played for the oh, Merck, yeah. and I played for Average Joe's one year, and that was just really fun. And it's almost like that would have been like my real pet project is like you know have something just before the season starts. Could be somewhere exotic. It could be Rugely. I don't know, you know. But at some of marquee.
0: That's somewhere,
1: marquee. yes. Any British tournament from now on. Has to have a marquee. BQC 2 had one. Thank you, James Burnett, for that, by the way. Where's the other marquees at, boys? Get them, please. Because marching bands refuse to play at these things. You yeah. know, I want to get that <their> Cornet Rusty <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah, I would say um, just those, those projects and, you know, to be able to do something like Community Shield where people meet up before the season starts and you can either trial – your new team, if you've got a new team that you want to try or you just want to play with your friends, you know, um, from different teams and just have it, again, like quite a laid back sort of atmosphere with an awards thing at the end of the thing where, you know, you can look back at the season ahead and have some prizes for the top players, I guess. And uh, Louis, who wins a (laughs) plastic plate.
0: Of course, of course. Yeah, definitely uh, a lot of creative juices running through your veins. That's fantastic to hear about. Um, so in the 2015-2016 season, things kind of went up a gear for, for the Brizzle Puffs. Um, you grew in size, becoming a two-team club with new branding. with so the Brizzle Bees, the Bristol Bees uh, as the second team, and the Bristol Bears, or Bristol Bears, not not the rugby team, um, as the first team. Um, and then you then went on to debut these two teams at 7 Cup 2015 in Oxford. And shocked the UK community by coming 4th at this tournament, having been 8th the previous year. Beating Falmouth Falcons uh, in an epic double overtime victory to qualify for EQC 2016, with you scoring the winning goal, of course. So, talk us through the preparation for this tournament, and particularly that match with Falmouth. Like, what emotions, what memories do you associate with that game?
1: So... I think, on the run-up, because that was our, the start of our second season, right, as a club. So we had been to Southern Cup the year before, obviously came dead last, which we were expecting. Brilliant. Done okay at BQC. We got made the upper brackets out of the 32 teams. I think we finished 12th or 13th, which we're really happy with. But we kind of went into that next season sort of expecting, okay, sort of mid-level performance, right? Um, so we got to the Southern Cup. Uh, we played, um, you know, the group stages I think we did okay we might finish second something like that and it was over at Oxford and I stayed over at David Delacca's house because we were good mates and still are good mates um, and I think it was me Nugent might be an Izzy I can't remember but we all stayed at his place in Oxford the night before day two and I can remember we were just like those are the days where you wouldn't know immediately who you were playing. There'd be a, like, you go back to the hotel, there'd be a tense wait, there'd be some rumours going round to say, oh, mate, you're playing against Kent tomorrow. Like, like, <laughs> out <for> the choices. <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Um, so we were just, like, you know, waiting. We didn't really, it sounds bad, we didn't really care who we'd be playing. Like, we knew we finished second, so we'd be playing a, a decent team uh, immediately the day after. Um found out it was Falmouth. Who at that time were very good and the season before, I think they might finish fourth at Sunday Cup, so we're a really, you know, solid squad. So the uh, us who were there would we just wrote it off immediately. And like so, well, that's that boys, maybe next year, you know. And uh, I remember Delaka made me the best Macedonian food I've ever had, albeit probably the only Macedonian food. <laughs> i've ever had but still delicious right and we went to bed on his floor snuggled up for the night thinking right we're gonna get thrashed in the morning that's fine cool so get there again it's just the stars were written it was muddy it was raining uh it was cold it was windy it was everything you basically didn't want uh playing quidditch um i think we were 60 10 down at that point um, so we kind of thought the game was ahead of ourselves at that point, as expected, really. Don't really know what happened. There wasn't really like somewhere that I can kind of pinpoint as the turning point of that game. But it suddenly went on its head and we got two quick goals. I seem to remember um, Stephen Fung. God bless the man because it wouldn't have happened without him. Caught the snitch, Connor Simpson. And sure enough, we were in overtime. And yeah, I, I think at that point, I just we couldn't believe it, to be honest. I was like, what a hustle, you know? <laughs> Everything's a hustle to me, Fraser. Yep. <laughs> um,
0: oh, I know, I know.
1: I, I was like, right. I just turned to the team and said, like, you give me five minutes of this overtime now where we just play out of our skins. That's it. And we just leave everything on the pitch. And if we come out and we lost... Then at least I know we just gave it everything for five minutes, right? I think we went two goals up. I think that speech rallied them up, got two goals, and then conceded two with thirty seconds to go of overtime, classic. So then we went to a double overtime, and um, I think at that point I still wasn't really playing myself, like a lot. I was still prioritizing like other people to get game time, and I think it was Sophia. Who came up to me and said, "You know, you need you're you're one of the fastest players. You need to go and do it. You know, have a bit of faith in yourself." So, I foolishly put myself forward for it. Um, referee called brooms up, and I, I slipped. <laughs> <laughs> I slipped in classic old fashion. Went for the ball, managed to land on it, and I passed it back to Ollie. And there's so many like um like old myths about this that oh oh scored it from like his own goal line or it was inside his own half and it curled around i literally got it in right in front of the hoop and i just like (laughs) threw it and i i thought it missed but it went in and i can remember that was one of the only outer body experiences i've ever had i didn't know what to do with myself i i threw my broom in classic vince for fashion (laughs) Um, got bundled on and almost got killed doing that honestly it was crazy Um, I just shut my eyes and yeah just the whole Brizzle Bears and Brizzle Bees and other teams bundled on me not knowing that I was at the bottom of this bundle (laughs) and thought honestly I'm gonna have to go to (laughs) the medics in a minute Um, I think my only regret is not knowing that was the goal that would qualify us for EQC because it was at that time where, you know, things weren't so right. If you get finished at this place in the tournament, you are going to EQC. It was, you know, we did it and it was an amazing thing, but it would have been even more amazing if like we knew that goal there and then took us, I think we had to wait like a, a month to find out if we were going. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And then just after that, we, we just played with really good momentum. We played at Oxford and gave them a good game. Um, and then I think we played you guys in the yep. third playoff and got our asses handed to us, you know. So, you know, full circle, circle of life with the puffs. Um, but yeah, really good fun. And as I said, the out of body experience was just crazy. I can't put my finger on it. It sounds really pathetic, but <laughs> you get emotional about these things.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me personally, like that was it's quite a rough tournament for Southampton as a team. Um, so I don't have many good memories for it, but I think that was for me the overriding best thing about that tournament. like we just finished our game. we came over to see what was going on and foul for ahead, and then all of a sudden you come back, like Steve catches the snitch like as soon as you're back in overtime range out of nowhere, goes to overtime, and then obviously the double overtime, the madness and the goal, the pile at the end, absolute scenes. Like yeah. the thing is, like as you said, like Falmouth were a, a very decent team at that time. Like I feel like Falmouth are like the streets will never forget like Quidditch team. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, you think awesome. about like Pappy yeah. Cisse, Newcastle, like Morton, Gams, Pederson, Blackburn Rovers. Like Falmouth yeah. were that team. Like Hugh so
1: White many. Needs respect. <laughs> I'm calling you Hugh. You know you deserve it, mate. You are a solid. Yeah. So, so many like so players.
0: many underrated players like Alex Brown, Lissy wow. Ackroyd, Hugh yeah. White. Liam Parr. Connorson, Liam Parr, like, Cat yeah. Jeffrey, like, so many great players on that yeah. team that never really got, I guess, a lot of recognition, but they were a solid team. So, like, going to that thing, oh, okay, Bristol are, well, 60 10 down. Okay, foul, forgot this. Yeah. But little by little came back into it. And yeah, no one could really believe it. It was just incredible.
1: I couldn't bloody believe it either. I was like, <laughs> what, what shit has really got on that we've, you know, turned this game. But that's, Again, that's what I really like about Quidditch. And I'll go into it maybe a bit later, but why I don't like all these constant rule changes because it takes a bit of that glory out. Like sometimes just keep it simple, you know, and you get those moments, which are great, you know. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's one of the highs. I, I remember crying after that game, genuinely, um, just because like I can remember literally 12 months prior watching someone like Oxford or Falmouth or SQC and being like, wow, these guys are solid and we might never reach their level. And we weren't at that level yet. I think we might have got lucky. But, you know, we had made a lot of progress in those 12 months.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so after this tournament, would you say this is where you as a club start to take Quidditch more seriously? Like, was there more structure with the trainings and things? Sort of where, where, where do you feel you made that jump?
1: Not really. I would say not that tournament i think that was almost proof in the pudding that what we were doing was working you know i do think that you know the excitement of having eqc you know in three or four months time really gave the the whole group a great spirit um to kind of know that you know we are going to be competing at european level champions league baby you know yeah. uh so i as think part of my
0: research for this i, I found the video of that
1: <laughs> oh, I'll, yeah. I'll
0: share it later it's brilliant
1: yes please it's uh it doesn't have the views it deserves certainly And i think someone's actually uh downvoted it as well so whichever fan of play you are just own up it's fine <laughs> like, no hard feelings mate but um yeah no not really we didn't i don't think anything particularly changed i think just that the fact that we had that now to play in was enough to kind of People were like, wow, like, you know, I'm actually kind of proud that I play for a club that's competing in Europe. And, you know, that was the point I got in the documentary maker. That's when I'm like, right, we just have, we've got our Tiger King set up here. We've got the perfect story. You know, we just need cameras to roll with it. Um, so at that point, I got six filmmakers together uh, in Bristol. Didn't tell them what the project was. I just said, meet me at this pub at this time. I've got a project for you. And. Um, free of charge. Obviously I wasn't paying for that, man. Yeah, common <laughs> here. Um and yeah, that's when we met Sonia um who directed our documentary. Um and I think again just having her around the camp as well and kind of like this is our story. And you know, considering what like Leicester City did the season after, like, you know, to go on that Premier League run and win the whole thing. Kind of felt a bit like that a little bit. Uh, without maybe the big fancy trophy at the end, <laughs> unless not white knights but yeah, I think that's the that's the point that, you know, I wouldn't say we took it more seriously, it was just like we've got, you know, you're at this level now be proud of it and you know, we we did play probably more as a unit, I'd say
0: Okay Yeah, I was just, just wondering in general, because I think yeah. at that time, in terms of the landscape of like UK Quidditch, like Bristol's as a club was really hard to gauge psychologically because obviously you had that first season where it was kind of a case of we're DOS. It doesn't matter if you beat us, you're supposed to beat us. We're DOS. Yeah. Just laugh it off. But um, yes, yeah, so I think a lot of people when they went to play you guys that season had that in the back of their minds. Like, oh, we should win this game. We should be better than these guys. Yeah. But like looking at the people you had in your roster and like Bristol were never like a unfit team like you talk about getting to Mackie's and stuff but like you had, you had some like fairly athletic people who just kind of needed a bit of experience a bit of know-how of the sport to eventually kind of flourish and then I think this is the season where things sort of connect to the dots and then started making those people feel rather silly about themselves
1: yeah that's it and I would say that group of players particularly there wasn't really a great drop-off there was no star player if you like every tournament it'd almost be like you'd have a different mvp um you know you wouldn't always be reliant on one person so you know whoever except, for Nooch. except for, yeah I'm sorry but yeah Nuge <laughs> is untouchable in that squad um, <laughs> but like you'd kind of go into tournaments knowing like we can put on any lineup and you know we don't have a big drop off like i i don't think even at that point we had planned Set lineups, you know, we're not saying you're in line one, you're in line two. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was just like, right, who's ready to play? Who's got legs, boys? who has got the legs, <laughs> you know. Um, and we, we just had fun playing. I, th- I think that's you know, with time and you know, spending all our time off pitch with each other, um, training twice a week, uh, just you know, even living with these people, these strange, strange people, you kind of just knew where they'd be on pitch. It was almost like I don't know, like, yeah, you might look at that squad and say, well, he's not as good as Ollie Craig, or this person's not as good as Lucy Quidditch, right? But, they are, as a team, you know, they just gel. we gelled really well, I thought.
0: Yeah, for sure, she had a, obviously the very kind of strong spirit that you created within the club. Yeah. Um, so we talked about it before, obviously, um, with the documentary coming in. April 2016, European Quidditch club, Cup in Gallipoli, in Italy, you guys went, um, and obviously had the documentary film and everything. Um, and yeah, it was obviously a pretty brilliant experience, um, with some interesting narratives along the way, should we say. So, talk us through the tournament experience from your perspective, and I guess your unconventional preparations for the tournament in the days leading up to it.
1: Yeah, so as I said, we would just buzz to go away and I kind of go back to your previous question that you know at that point you might think right we're going to take it a bit more seriously now we might reduce the squad from 21 to 16 so that we just have the creme de la creme of the players playing all the time I I I put my foot down and said like we are just going to take a full 21 like and we're going to include a couple of the bees in there as well because this might be the only time we ever play in Europe. And I want as many people to experience that as possible. Um, So, yeah, it was really hard choosing those 21 players who's deserving to go, um, who would we want there, who might be able to add something that we don't necessarily have to that team. Um, But even the 21 that we picked, we still had a massive entourage of people who weren't playing. Um, I can think of what knockout, Kieran knockout Harris, Gabby Fitzgerald, you know, players like that that would have desperately wanted to be there but you know we just so part of the club at that point they were just you know came along for the ride which i'm really grateful for because that massively helped um i would say we just treated it as a holiday we got there like three or four days earlier as did most other clubs um as i say if you went at that tournament the pitches were dreadful the actual tournament itself No offence, Jacopo and co. Wasn't run particularly well. Looking Fly was run better than that, my friend. (laughs) I put it it there. But, 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 the location, well done. Because it was brilliant. You know, we stayed in the town. Having like seven other UK clubs there as well. All kind of like rooting for each other. And, you know, I had met people like Louis before um, at Looking Fly and Plog, you know, who I'd met at christmas cup who's my hero just having those sorts of people come along and you know cheer for your team it's really good and kept us going um so i kind of just said to the guys like let's just enjoy it you know i'm not going to look too deeply into tactics especially when our group was drawn so we got drawn with uh dodos right uh paris frog uh the milan menegans and then I think, I forget the name, but I think it's another Turkish team, perhaps. I can't remember. Um, so immediately everyone, you know, as the lowest UK-ranked team going, I think most people have written us off at that point. And as we did a little bit as well, <laughs> to be honest. We thought Frog and Dodo, um, you know, French runners-up, Belgian champions. Nah, mate, you know, forget it. Let's just enjoy the holiday. Yeah. Um, So that's why we decided to hold a little funeral service. I thought, let's just keep spirits high. You know, let's remind people why we're here. It's to have fun. It's to kind of not take yourself too seriously. We had a beautiful sunny beach and the hotel that um, housed the tournament also had, for some reason, it must have been for weddings or something. I hope it's not for funerals because that's a nasty (laughs) way to go. But it was a little church bit, you know, it had all the seats, had an altar, And everything, and it it kind of almost came up a couple of days beforehand that we could maybe just do even it's just something like as a team building exercise for our group of 25 people, right? As a little reminder, say you're here, let's remember this, let's just have fun. So we decided to bury our hopes and dreams into a shoebox that I had bought over from (laughs) Bristol that added to the luggage, mate, big time. Um but, yeah, we held the service, and we told a couple people about it, and then re- news spread a little further, a little further again. So when we came to it, and I was, you know, getting ready, I'd invite our, our hooch people and everything. Um, over the hill started coming small crowds of people. I'm like, okay, you might have 30, 35 people, okay. They kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. And there were over 100 people there. <laughs> and that's when i was like shit okay right so i'm supposed to be giving this like you know grand speech about we're here today to bury our hopes and dreams and like and subscribe to all our media channels kind of thing you know plug it while you can mate definitely yeah. um but that's when i got like jesus involved james Burnett, and said could you do us a speech you know as an oxford representative nuge gave a speech and yeah 100 people came and they wept And they wept and they wept for our hopes and dreams. And we ended up burying it um, on the beach at sunset in Gallipoli with a cold beer in my hand and my swimming trunks on and my snapback on my head. And I thought, you know what? Life doesn't get better than this, you know, (laughs) to be honest. Um, And everyone was giving their condolences (coughs) and, uh, sorry, and things like that. So, yep, went played the next day. and i promised that if we beat dodos or frog that i would indeed get a tattoo on my bottom um i would get the word dos tattooed to motivate the team a little bit more and they took that very seriously because we ended up taking dodos to overtime which was crazy um louis did not look happy at all <laughs> and then we beat frog just by the skin of our teeth i think um I think one of us scored a goal in the very last second as we caught the snitch. And it didn't, it took us a little while to realize what had just happened. And I think from that point, we knew, right, we're going to come maybe second in the group. We're going to make the upper bracket. That's crazy. So when that was confirmed, we made the upper bracket. We went back to that beach. And I had to remember, like, shit, where did I bury this fucking shoebox? <laughs> right. Uh, and we raised it from the dead for day two. Um, and. I think it was um, Alistair, who's a workhorse, just dug and dug and dug trying to find the shoebox. And, you know, we managed to raise it up out of the ground and um, that was almost like a lucky charm going from there. So it was a great tournament and it's probably my favorite memory of Quidditch, to be honest, is just and I think lots of people will probably say the same thing. Just the vibe was really good. The socials were really good um the pictures were terrible but no one cared and that's kind of what made it a bit dos I think the final had to be lit up by people's phones
0: yeah it's getting pretty dark
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah everyone just had a really good time and if every tournament was like that I'd take it certainly 100% um so yeah there wasn't really like any tactical nuance uh, that's me really down to a tee. I don't care about tactics or who should play where, you know, I just care that people have a good time.
0: Yeah, I knew this would be a great story to talk about. and It's great to relive it all and sort of my memories of it as well. um, It's just fantastic to hear about. Yet again, like the way you kind of approached it with like the Puff mentality of like, oh, we're DOS, doesn't matter. We're here, this is great. Happy to be there. Um, Turning up in your, your pink tour shirts. Rock it up. And yeah, again, it's that whole kind of thing of these European teams didn't really know what to expect from you. So of go, oh, OK, they can't be that sort of hot. They can't really hurt us. And then obviously you end up taking Antwerp to overtime, who then went off to make the final. Everyone's like, whoa, OK. And then later on, managed to beat Frog, who, yeah, at the time, and I guess still are, still one of the big powerhouses of European Quidditch. So it's two kind of massive shocking moments, and uh, yeah, the whole the whole uh, shoebox, the uh, the funeral, just absolutely brilliant. It's like one of your ideas that probably went a little bit too far, as you, I guess, kind of alluded to. Didn't it's,
1: just, that, yeah.
0: it's such a, it's such a brilliant story. Um, it's great to share it. Was this also the tournament with the pizza box? Was that a different tournament?
1: So that was, I think, um, BQC just before that tournament where. Ah, okay. We, I think lots of different teams have rivalries wherever you are. Um, and I'd say we were quite a friendly team to be honest. Um, maybe a bit cliquey at some points, but yeah, like we were a friendly team to others, but we seemed to just create this rivalry with Leeds. It must be like the battle of the edgy cities, you know, who's the best edgy city? <laughs> Might be that. Um, but they had you know, desert, they they beat us at Compass Cup. So after we had, um, qualified for EQC after Southern Cup. We played at this little kind of get-together compass and they slowballed the hell out of us. And we, as I said, my tactical knowledge is severely lacking. So uh, I didn't know what to do about it. And they, you know, deservedly beat us uh, in a very low scoring game. We were quite salty about that. um, And I kind of just made a, a mockery of it. To be honest. I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't matter. Some people in the, the squad kind of like, oh hi, you know, taking it seriously. But I was like, you know, it doesn't matter. Okay. So we ended up playing Leeds a couple months later at BQC, so British Quidditch Cup. And um, it was one of those again, those times where you don't know who you're playing the next day. There's rumors going around, it could be Leeds, it could be Leeds. So ended up being confirmed as Leeds, and we were staying in the same hotel as one of your podcast guests, um, Ash Cooper. Um, so I thought, Might I don't yourself. know what I'm going to do. If we get slowballed again, we're screwed. We're out, you know, don't know what we're going to do. So I went, I knocked on his door quite late at night. I said, Ash, I have urgent business. Um, <laughs> I need your assistance with. And uh, the fear in his eyes said it all. <laughs> He's like, am I getting kidnapped? What's going on? You know, all I wanted was just to know how to sort of deal with the slowball. Um, and Ash very kindly sat me down, Uh, took about 15 minutes to explain the whole thing and I still didn't really get it, I'll be honest. I was like, "Okay, right, how am I going to relay this to my team tomorrow? So I didn't have a notebook or anything, um, so we used the back of a pizza box and
0: edge of tactical nuance right here That's
1: it, you know the funding was brilliant what can I say incredible you know? technology uh, so I just ripped the pizza box off and he he drew it there and then for me on the table and I think he might have even signed it as well Ash Cooper right and so you just show that you know so I held on to it I sat with it you know that night cuddled up in bed with it and then took it to the tournament the next day and sure enough we were playing Leeds before that game I basically took out this pizza box and said, right, (laughs) I'm being serious. I've spoken to the man himself, Master Tactician Ash Cooper. Here's how we're going to defend the slow ball, right? And sure enough, they don't play slow ball on us. They just run run it and gun it. And they, again, deservedly beat us. We were so ready for that slow ball, the most tactical stuff I've ever been involved with. And it falls flat on its face. We didn't (laughs) have a game plan for it. So, again, deservedly beaten. By a very and again a very solid team like like Falmouth I think Leeds also kind of come under that category of they are a solid team and they will make it difficult for you. Yeah. Warwick found out.
0: Streets will um, never forget.
1: So yeah, really good team and I I did enjoy playing them definitely.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So well, so I I heard there was something about a pizza box. I never really understood what was going on there, but. Uh... Uh, Maybe kind of got it confused with the whole Gallipoli Italy situation, but uh no,
1: nah, you think pizza, you think Italy, no, no, we just <laughs> kept it under wraps as much as we could because like we didn't want someone finding out that I was figured out how to stop the slow ball by using a pizza box, you know. <laughs> because otherwise people would have nicked it from me and I would have had nothing to
0: True. Do my you,
1: plans with. So do you, yeah. do you know
0: do you know where it is now? Is it like pride and place in your house or
1: so I kept it for years, years and years and years. And I think one day it was in my my Quidditch bag, and I think one day I went to either a training session or a tournament, and it wasn't there anymore. So I really hope that one day, if like there ever is like a Quidditch museum, that that somehow finds its place into it, because it's a treasured relic. That and the yep. shoebox, I think, should feature, and I'll heavily petition for that to be involved.
0: And of course, with the shoebox as well, because we'll see day two of EQC. You guys played the Radcliffe Chimera's in the round of sixteen, just sort of typical, like puffs luck really. Got kind of a close game for a little bit, and then sort of Oxford kind of pulled away. And didn't they then take on the the shoebox, right?
1: Yeah, so we basically said, well, maybe we gave you a good run, you know. So you got to carry it on for us and hopefully take it to the final, you know. Here's like our good luck, and we pass it on to you again. They were like Oxford were like our hooch team, so we had. We loved every time we played them. Got on really well with all the players there. Um, we ended up swapping shirts for a game because there was a colour clash in shirts. So, yeah, I, we just passed it on. And I think we were passing on to any UK team. Um, I think Nottingham got the furthest in that tournament out of the UK teams, didn't they? Yeah. I don't think they had the shoebox, though. They might have gone one step further if they had. Who knows? But, uh, just a speculation, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> true, true. No, it's, it's it's one of those brilliant stories. But yeah, if if you know about it, like it just brings back such fond memories of that time. So yeah. definitely great to to reminisce on. Um speaking of great things to reminisce on, uh, a week later, uh you won the prestigious White Knights Tournament. Um so how special was it for you to win a tournament in your hometown of Reading? Uh
1: Reading's really dull and soulless, so that didn't mean diddly squat to me. <laughs> That It might as well have been Rugeley, mate, or Horsepath Athletic Ground, you know. Um, I was right, at that point, I was in my final year. I was right in the middle of writing my dissertation, slash dissertation, as everyone called it. Of course. Um, That was a month from hell, because I had like EQC, we had awards evening, we had white nights, and somehow I had 10 deadlines in that month. Um, And I really prioritised Quidditch at that point. Um, So I wanted to go out with a bang. I didn't care if I got like a first or a 2-1. I just wanted to go out with a bang. Uh, ended up getting the 2-1 in the end, boys, so I scraped through, <laughs> which is good, um, but yeah, so it was just a really nice kind of tournament, and it was kind of poetic, really, that that was my last tournament as captain, um, and that it was a DOS tournament like White Knights, and we ended up winning it, um, you know, many thanks to Luke Twist for playing on our team, which we won't mention, but, <laughs> um, you know, I think we surprised people and i think that's one of the best we've ever played really um and i wonder sometimes if that's maybe what we were missing we're just missing a tall you know person who could put in a proper hit and you know that might have taken us to the next level i don't know but i wouldn't i wouldn't have changed it at all you know i wouldn't have changed the players that we had um for the world really so yeah it was nice and i got to play with harry my little brother as well, um, who played out of his skin, put me to shame, certainly. So it was kind of nice and special, like that we won together, I guess. As you know, you've got brothers as well. It's very, mm. you know, brotherly bond over Quidditch of all things, which he still takes the <laughs> out of me for. But he plays rounders at uni. So there you go. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> <What is this? laughs> He's the <a> bigger loser <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, that, that was another really good memory. Just that season. And as I said, I think it was the season that Leicester won the league and I was living with Viv at that point who was a big Leicester fan. So to kind of watch him get really excited about this and having this kind of run alongside it, it kind of just felt like we were emulating that a little bit. I was channeling my inner Jamie Vardy. Um, (laughs) But yeah, really enjoyed it. And um, that wasn't the White Knights you were in my bathroom. No, that was
0: the previous one.
1: (laughs) That, that didn't end so well
0: for you or for me.
1: <laughs> no, that was a great night. But yeah, <laughs> as, as I said, the fact that it was white nights, and I did miss part of day two that time as well, actually, because I was writing my dissertation. And then I get a text from Dom saying, oh, Reading have taken us to overtime. And I thought, no, nah, I've got to get back. You know, can't leave these fools for two seconds and they get themselves an overtime. <laughs> uh, you know, you beat Dodo, well, you get overtime with Dodo's the week before, one week later, you know, overtime with Reading. So, <laughs> just a
0: tough way very
1: inconsistent
0: true true i feel like it's like the perfect tournament for bristol to have won right in terms of your mentality your ethos and like the whole environment that white knights has always had down the years like it was sort of pretty perfect way for you guys to finish that season
1: that's it and it would have been perfect if the open top tour bus had happened um i was thinking of getting that I was thinking of getting genuinely like even just going to one of those tour buses uh, that like do the sightseeing and say, mate, we'll pay you off. Just let us go on the top deck on <laughs> a, a trophy, going around all the sites of Bristol. Uh, that's, again, probably my biggest regret in Quidditch is that and the marching band not yeah. coming up. So, yeah.
0: Major regrets. <laughs> all the regrets. Yes. Um, yeah, so the following season, uh, Bristol had their most successful season as a club, finishing third at Southern Cup and then making it all the way to the British Quidditch Cup final to take on Voss Raps QC, um, in the process becoming the first and only team to make a BQC final without any active Team UK players on the roster. So what was that whole experience like for you? Like, did you ever plan or expect to make it all the way to the final? And what was the final like itself?
1: That's really interesting. I didn't know that that we were the only that team. do little stat done that you have done obviously looked at wikipedia and done your research my man well done but um this yeah seriously, I, I would say that um that kind of speaks volumes of the team that we had as well i think that team particularly that year was really good and we had people like aaron brett miller and florian and sam frolic who had all kind of come from the bees the season before and were really kind of showing that they belong in the bears and that they're just putting in stellar performances um, yeah, it was just really proud, really. Um, didn't think we'd get to the final, if I'm honest. I, I go into every tournament just being like, look, it'll be what it'll be, and we're going to have a good time. And I, I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. I know not everyone does it that way. They were kind of like laser-focused, I'm training for this. We don't do that at all, or I certainly don't anyway. Um, I would say that Warwick helped us tremendously. Thank you very much for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or yourself, but they were disappointed that I think they lost to Leeds, and that kind of helped us, you know, with the clearer path. Still not an easy one. I think we um we might have played Leeds at that point. Yeah, we played Leeds again in the Battle of the Edgy City, Volume Three, <laughs> um, and we managed to beat them this time round deservedly. Um, we then played Durham, who we took the double overtime again, and Blandin scored a great goal. Uh, to finish it off. Then we played Edinburgh in the semi-final. So, you know, the run was hard and maybe for a team like a sort of like top mid-tier team like us, like those games are all difficult to play in. Um, But we didn't have like a Velociraptors or we didn't have a um, Southampton necessarily or, you know, Chimeras. We just played, um, you know, similar level teams to us. So... I was just, you know, got to that semi semifinal. So if we're playing for a medal, I'll be incredibly happy, you know. And so the fact that we won that game uh, and that we would be guaranteed a medal either way was just crazy. Right. I phoned my mum after that game, but between then and the final, and she had no idea what I was talking about.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I said, I'm going to be playing in the, in the final. we have just be in Edinburgh. And she said, oh, well done and that, that was it, that was all the motivation I needed so I can just remember lots of players from other clubs coming up to us and myself after that semi-final and being like, wow, like we cannot wait to watch you in the final and we want to see you do one over Saraptors, which was never going to happen you know um, It, you know, the fact that it was at Rugeley as well, the holy ground <laughs> um, brilliant and I think you look at the scoreline on Wikipedia now, and I will say that that game is much closer than it looked. Like we Mm. had within swim, I think 10 seconds before the snitch was on pitch. So we could have pulled off another great hustle, you know? Um, But playing in that game is just like, I didn't expect to be there at all. And to kind of have everyone watching. Some people kind of like crumble under that pressure. And I think some kind of do really well. And I'd say that I'm a bit of both, really. Like, um, I can just remember, you know, they have scored a couple of quick goals and we scored our first one. I think Dom threw a beautiful pass to Viv and they just, you know, jumped and put it in. Really smooth, smoothest goal you'll ever see. And the the crowd went bananas completely. Like, everyone seemed to be rooting for us. I, I feel sorry for Velociraptors at that point because, you know, they're a great, great team. They you know, made up of really nice individuals. Um, but everyone just, you know, want, everyone loves an underdog, don't they? Mm. You know, um, I tried this crazy kick and it worked and we scored another goal through that. And, you know, kind of kind of kept the dustness about it as well at the same time. It's a shame that the game kind of ran away with the score a little bit because uh, I think, you know, anyone can look at that and say, well, the community team's just absolutely crunch the little university teams um but i'd say we we really gave them a good run um you know up until maybe the 18th minute and soon as snitch came on pitch it was game over really um so yeah i really enjoyed that tournament again one of my fondest memories of playing and i think that was the season i wasn't living in bristol as well so maybe that's what why they got to a final because i wasn't (laughs) involved that's it less of an influence and they've kind of taken their own thing and maybe got rid of all my stupid training drills and things like that so you know it's really on the players um and you know it would it was difficult either way you know warwick would argue well you know we would have smashed them and i think they might have to be honest but i still think we would have given them a good game
0: yeah it's great to hear about all that and um unfortunately i was i wasn't in the country at the time to uh, attend the tournament but i was following it all on the live stream and oh, then day one when um warwick lost to edinburgh it was this massive show like warwick were expected to go at least top four probably to the final at least that's what a lot of people are saying yeah so all of a sudden i was like wow this tournament is wide open and then yeah after you guys played that quarterfinal with Durham, which was a mental game, like, I think there's, like, two red cards in that double overtime, and then eventually Josh scored, yeah. and after that, I was like, oh, shit, like, they're going to make the final. Like, I just yeah. had this instinct, like, they're going to they're gonna do it. They're going to make the final.
1: Hustle. Sure enough,
0: beat Edinburgh. Yeah. And there you are. I was like, wow, this is, like, little old Bristol. Like, eight and seven, 2014. Yeah. You come from from DOS to boss to the very top. <laughs> playing yeah. the biggest game in the country. And yeah, as you said, that like Lost Raptors had that little wobble sort of midway through the game, you got about two or three goals, that weird kick goal assist thing you got. It's like so classic you. And I think mean, everyone's just like, what's going on? But loving it and loving what was happening. And yeah, eventually the game ran its course and Lost Los Raptors won it's the best the best team. But uh yeah, it's one of those it's just another part of this insane journey that you've been on
1: yeah i mean, all the bristol ultras were out that day everyone seemed to be chanting for us flares were going off you know it was a criminal that that game wasn't filmed like the live stream was dreadful for the time yeah and <laughs> you know? uh, still is today but like you kind of go back and you want to like you know kind of relive it a little bit you know sometimes yeah. you're having a bad day you want to come in and be like oh that was you know good fun uh, but it wasn't filmed at all. All the other games are bloody filmed. Mm. So, you know, I say to someone, yeah, mate, I'm a, you know, down the pub, you know, I'm a <laughs> runner up. And they said, well, prove it. And I can't, you know, I've got a medal <laughs> to show, but that's it. So, yeah, yeah we, we were just super happy after that. I remember being happy before, being hyped and just looking forward to kind of putting on a bit of a show for the crowd as well. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's my way of relaxing um i got quite was taken aback actually at a tournament i played in recently a couple of tournaments ago now maybe and someone came up to me often and said well you shouldn't be showboating like it's disrespectful to us as a team and i, I was quite I, no, I was quite taken aback by that because if you know who i am you know i just like to fall around that's it i'm not doing it to disrespect you or being like oh this is yeah. too easy i'm toying with you this is how I kind of like get in the zone and relax.
0: Yeah. And Take the piss. Like, enjoy I, yourself.
1: But, but things, you know, kind of pull off. It's kind of like, you know, in parts of the Caribbean where Jack Sparrow comes into port and this ship is just sinking. Yeah. The whole way. It's like that. I mean, that's
0: a good metaphor for
1: your life, Tom. That's it. <laughs> that my life is Some, Somehow started. smoothly it works. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you get to the end point eventually, but. You make a bloody hard work of it while you're getting there. Yeah, yeah.
0: true, true. Yeah, it is, it is a real shame that game wasn't properly filmed, but uh, I guess no. the end of it, you got you got the documentary. You always got that.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it, it was really like nice to kind of again, if you're having a bad day, like just go and watch that twenty-five minutes, you know. And I'm happy again instantly because I'm I just like playing in that team, like as the happiest I've probably ever been in terms of you know having really good supportive group around you feeling like you're kind of working towards something but not taking it too seriously either just um you know and watching people like Al for example who came over Al Thomas uh, from Hong Kong and to see the impact it had made on his life and felt like you know I've come to this strange country which is the other side of the world and been able to you know find a group of people who care about me and I can fit in and you know nothing's ever too awkward and I I I find my place. I think that's that's what I love about it, you know, is being able to kind of provide that for someone or at least help in providing that.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um it's kind of moving to I guess a less pleasant topic now. Um mm-hmm. so it's your final full year playing with Bristol the club went through a bit of a tumultuous period, uh, but you still managed to finish the top eight in the UK. Um, but then since you retired and left the club, it's declined now to becoming more of like a middle to lower tier, lower tier team again in the UK. But what do you make of this change of fortunes and how do you reflect on this period?
1: Uh, must have been my departure, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I joke. Um, I was gonna say, I think it's like, you see it with a lot of teams, like a lot of those old early day teams like keel for example uh loveborough a little bit um oxford for example they were really strong teams at that time i don't think they ever kind of fully prepared for what was coming next or the transition where actually a lot of people leave at once and you're left with this big gap to plug um so i think it's always going to happen um, I really like admire how Southampton and Warwick seem to like field a really competitive team years on. Uh, I'd say it's probably the best sort of long term recruitment, you know, out of all the teams in the UK. Those two clubs have done it really well. Um, it, it, you know, every year they seem to be doing all right for themselves. They have a full squad, um, or whether that's sort of like because I'd say those two teams are quite competitive in nature and maybe they do get upset if they lose. Maybe it's that that's driving them on all these years later. Whereas for clubs that kind of don't mind or have a bit of a conflict of where they want to go, it's easier for them to fall apart, I think. So you can't commit and play for a club forever. I think, you know, we realize that maybe after a couple of seasons after graduating you know, you got to give room for people to come through. I So, like, people like, again, like Florian, Sam, Aaron, Brett Miller, they would never have come through if we just didn't, you know, we had to ease up somewhere and let people kind of go. Um, I'd say, you know, with the state Quidditch is in now, in terms of, like, they've been hit really hard with the pandemic, I- I'm really thrilled to see that Bristol have, you know, they're still surviving, they are still training. They're trying. I know they're trying their absolute hardest to kind of come back from it, and I really hope we can one day, in the near future, be back to like a a nation that has fifty fully fledged teams, you know, and lots of people competing at BQC, because uh, I think that's really important for the sport. You know, has to survive somehow, and it can't be on the shoulders of the people who were there from the beginning. You know, it has to evolve somewhere. So, I would say it was like you know a natural thing i didn't think it would to be honest i didn't think it would be hit as hard as when i left i was like okay the club will survive it's fine um and there's been you know moments we've had to put our socks back on and go and help out you know pull up your shorts get on with it um which i i've, I've loved doing to be honest um as I, I just hope all those teams can kind of find their way back to being able to recruit every year really well uh, it's just finding those right people, you know. And I think in those early days, you kind of had people who were out there and were pioneers because they had to be, you know. Uh, there's a reason I've been pushing for leagues um, for seasons now because it, it gives the season more structure and goes back to working towards something.
0: Mm, having having <laughs> that momentum.
1: Yeah, exactly. And for play- for teams like like Kent, for example, who I don't think they've registered a win yet, at all right it's for teams like that like you know you put them in bqc in the nationals and you know they've got nowhere to to aim for really whereas you know you go for these smaller regional leagues then i think you know they do have something to aim towards the season because they do nothing for the rest of it they just sit there wait for nationals to come around and that's their only tournament in the year for them which is why i i, I think it does need structure definitely. And I'm pleased that we're starting to see that now. I just hope it works out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very mature response from you, I think. Kind of looking at I guess a problem that, as you said, like a lot of other universities have had down the years, where it's always been kind of on a year-to-year basis. How can we get the best out of these players? How can we win this tournament or whatever? Um, But things change really quickly in Quidditch. Like, a year feels like a long time, like whole season. And then one team can be really good one year and then, I don't know, five or six key players graduate and then that team's now at the bottom. That's and it. just trying to have that sustainability is really hard because you obviously you think about the people who are in the sport. The sport's still pretty young. Like There's people who haven't maybe been in that background before. And there's a load of people who've never run teams and clubs of however many people it is. So yeah. as many successes as there are, there's also plenty of chance for failure as well.
1: Yes. Oh, the hundred percent. And like, I go back to Warwick and Southampton seems to have done it the best that they've kind of got this club ethos that, you know, we are here to win. And you sit, you sit with their players now as well. You can tell that they really, I was playing Southampton like a month ago and you could tell their new recruits kind of had that energy about them. Um, I feel like for some clubs, like I'll take Bristol as an example. Um I love that they've kind of kept the ethos of, you know, we are DOS, but you can't be over-reliant on it either. You kind of got to make your own story now, which sounds terrible, you know. And for Bristol people watching. I don't mean it as in, you know, you should just do your own thing kind of thing. Um, you need to do a bit of both, really.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, because I think with the whole DOS sort of mentality and what we've got into in this episode, it was very much a product of that group of players when you founded the club That's and it's it. very much kind of integrated into those people there and obviously like if people now with the Bristol team or whoever it is if they can identify with that sort of past identity and that past culture great fantastic if that works for them great. it's kind of a case of where it does or where it doesn't essentially yeah yeah, um, And you mentioned that obviously, recently uh, you and a few of the Bristol Old Guard laced up your boots once more and played with the team at South Coast, at South Coast Cup tournament in Southampton uh, a few months back. It's kind of a first tournament back from the pandemic. So what was it like for you to be back on pitch, reclaiming your glory days? And we'll, we'll be seeing more of you in the future at Quidditch events.
1: I would hardly recall it reclaiming the glory days because my body has given up on me pretty much now (laughs) i'm run my back's gone everything um it was really nice because um that last season i did sort of play It kind of ended abruptly i had quite a lot going on outside of quidditch um my landlady i had moved in for a week and my landlady evicted me because i left a dorito on the floor you know (laughs) that one dorito turned my whole life upside down you know so i had to kind of Take a big step back at that point and grow up, and you know, uh, had to move jobs and everything. So Quidditch really took a back seat on that, and I watched the other guys go to BQC that year. Um, I'm really wanting to be there, but life just throws curveballs at you sometimes, and you can't do it. And um so, I never really got a chance to have a last hurrah, these up, if you like. So I'm kind of pleased, like you know. The club needed us to come because they were short on players and i think it was viv who messaged me saying oh, mate i'm well keen for this are you up for it <laughs> and i think i'd already said no but i managed to find a way to be able to be there and it was just good knowing that like you know if i want to i have put that chapter to bed a little bit like i can say that i really enjoyed playing with those Group of players one last time i enjoyed playing with the new players again and kind of coaching them a little bit um so in terms of coming back i'd say i probably wouldn't ever go back to doing a full season and committing to like bqc eqc everything what i would be going for however is um little like one-off tournaments whether it's like one day or I'd love to do a tournament, for example, where everyone plays for the first team they ever played for. So, for example, you'd play for Southampton. Uh, Jay would play for Banger. Uh, JT would play for Nottingham. And kind of just having like a retro throwback weekend, if you like, on that front. I'd be well oh, yeah. Kind of like
0: a uh, Sky Sports Master Football.
1: That's it. Yeah. Yes, Sky Sports Master Football. <laughs> is, you know, only 90s kids remember. But <laughs> the greatest sort of idea for a sports event ever um i'd have really good fun doing that and i would love to sort of someone to just take the reins and do it and i wish it could be me but i really want to selfishly play as well <laughs> i'm not just td i do a terrible job at it so if anyone's up for it please do it um as i said the rules are simple you just have to play for the first team you ever played for officially um and i think we can get a really good bunch of people Together, I'd love to see Bidwell back in a Southampton
0: shirt. Yeah, no, I'm I'm well up for that. I'd love to sort of yeah have a bit of nostalgia, and uh yes. if we zero. ever make that happen, I'm I'm well down for it.
1: That's Definitely. Petitions
0: <laughs> out, guys, do it, please. Awesome, awesome. Um, but yeah, it's great great to obviously be able to sort of link up the new players, and I guess have your little testimonial if anything to uh. Yeah. Round off your, your career finally but, after all the pandemic rubbish.
1: All I'm saying, Fraser, is that if I had a testimonial team, you'd be on it. Definitely. You'd be on my team. I'm yeah.
0: on whatever. Seven years after <laughs> you
1: at me. We've been to all sorts of places. We've been in a white night spreading toilet together <laughs> to you know, the beaches of Barcelona. We've done it all, mate. So you'd That'd be, be on my good. team.
0: <laughs> the best of times.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, We're going to go into the mailbag now um okay. during, towards the end of the episode now um these questions have been sent in by various members of our online community uh, thank you for everyone who sent in their questions the first one is from matthias Henel balker i hope i'm saying that correctly You are. uh when are we going to see the tattoo <laughs>
1: Well, 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 you'll have to wait a bit longer. There's a real like global shortage of ink at the minute that has been for the last five, six years. So, as soon as there's readily available ink, even if it's in fountain pen, I'll do it, mate. I promise. Okay, promise.
0: And is it going to be the left cheek or the right? That's what everybody wants though know. The left one,
1: <laughs> we've decided, yeah, it'd be the left for the bounce, you know. I think my hair goes to the right, so therefore it needs to be on the left to keep my whole central body mass you know gravitated and central
0: uh-huh this next question what's your nando's order
1: <laughs> who's asked that
0: <laughs> We're We're they me. remain anonymous, for,
1: uh... anonymous it's you Fraser, isn't it <laughs> that's <laughs> a good question uh i had it one today actually with my little brother because it's payday today um and i got something different this time i got a pitter wrap which was disappointing i have to say so my usual go-to is a medium,
0: because you,
1: know, you got to enjoy it. You know, I enjoy it. Yeah, I agree
0: you know, with despite that.
1: Rumors, I'm not super spicy. Um, I know Sam Senior eats the booze out of a tablespoon, so if you ever go to Nando's with him, make him do it and it for a laugh. You know, but my go-to order is yeah, medium chicken butterfly burger, um, without the tomato, because I'm not a demon, and I put cheese in it as well um Ooh. and i put peri pretty, pretty salt with chips and sometimes macho peas depending on I'm, I'm a macho peas man and i drizzled it with maybe some hot sauce on the side or some garlic barbecue and definitely got to get a bit of ketchup going as well um you know so yeah pretty substantial meal wow
0: it's so a full palette of taste going on there yeah. i love it yeah um kieran caper williams would like to know how can other teams now be DOS in today's climate?
1: <laughs> oh, Kieran's right. It's a very difficult climate to be DOS in, I think, nowadays. Um, I would say, like, you know, there's there are plenty of teams still in the UK. Um, and if you are starting afresh, which I think Kieran might have, um, you have to just accept that you're not going to win BQC in your first season. You're not going to qualify for EQC. It is a journey, but the journey is worth it. Certainly. So, my advice to Kieran would be don't go delve into the rule book too much initially with players, as I said earlier, and celebrate the little milestones throughout. You know, even if it's your first goal or your first match that you've won or the first snitch that you've caught, even though you've lost, celebrate that because those are times you will remember going on and they kind of. Do build a foundation to grow upon for seasons to come. So enjoy those little moments and try and play a variety of teams. Don't be scared of playing the big teams necessarily because you will play them. You'll come up against them eventually, and it's okay if you get smashed. It's absolutely fine as long as you're there. That's fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the full full journey, the full Alex Hunter experience. <laughs> yeah. gotta have it. You gotta have it. Uh, what is the ultimate Quidditch meme team?
1: Oh, like a starting six. Yeah. Oh I feel right. like
0: Nuge has to be the captain, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's difficult. Um, let's think. Yeah. I would say, well, Nuge isn't he used to be Mimi back in the day. Um, he's quite a reserved young fellow. I know you invited him on this podcast and he, he refused. Or oh, was PA refused no. anyway. That'd be me. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> ultimate meme team. I would say I'd have to put you on it. I'm sorry. Just awesome. the fact that you did your rulebook nine qualification, the day <laughs> rulebook 10 came out, is enough to justify it. All the effort, revision you put in for that, and then the day after, rulebook 10 comes out. <laughs> incredible, incredible, <laughs> incredible, incredible, incredible. So you're on it. Um, oh, and it's six people. Do I have to do the gender as well or not?
0: No, nah, just six people, I think.
1: Okay. So you... Um, Fran Morris. Every time I play with Fran, she looks either just like what's going on and like what the heck, what the heck, you know, or just really enjoying it. So yeah, Fran, you're on it definitely. Um, oh, Domer because he's so Air as well. So dumb. Um, it's just it doesn't it doesn't really do anything. It's just like will come out and say something and you just laugh. Definitely. So those three, certainly. um Oh, Mimi people, Mimi Mimi people. Mm. Mm. That's really hard, Sam Senior. You know, Jay. maybe
0: maybe Johannes.
1: Oh mate, Johannes. <laughs> yes, okay. It's a throwback. Johannes <laughs> and Plug are on my. Johannes. Oh mate, what a legend. Louis what-
0: 11, 9 as well.
1: Yeah, what a predicament that boy left me in Johannes, honestly. Just, <laughs> wow, you know. If you know. you know, <laughs> if you know. you know, you <laughs> know.
0: Dave the Unicorn is the manager.
1: Yeah, so you're coming up with really good ones. I've not yeah, seen... Yeah,
0: I saw this and, like, my creative juice has just started.
1: Yeah, Hey, right. you should come play for first, definitely. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, I've not seen the Mailbag questions, to be honest with you. So, um, I, I'm really sorry. If I had some time to prepare it, I would have definitely come up with a solid six. Um, but yeah,
0: uh-huh.
1: apologies. Yeah.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Jay Holmes would like to know what did you really think about the other big t- big clubs?
1: For me, I um, really like them. Honestly, like that's my honest answer. I know lots of people kind of look at them as the villains, but you kind of look under the hood, and they're just made up of people who start off like you almost. You know, they just start off by playing a a silly game, and you know. They play quiz, that can't be all bad, really. You know, the fact that they've chosen this as their sport to play. Um, I would say initially when like the community teams came about, my role as like expansion manager at QK, I kind of, with that hat on, I thought, well, I found it really useful to have like Amon and Will Bus and Bex and Jack Leonard and Delacca just to be there to kind of tell me what to do. Not necessarily to like dominate and take over that team, but to kind of just give me little pointers and a little push in the right direction, if you like. So initially I kind of thought, well, I kind of wish some of those players would go and help those new teams, but they do. They do now, like you see like Olympians, they are yeah pulling out all the moves to help out little teams. Velociraptors doing the same, you know, all the tournaments they put on, you know, do help out all the players. So my answer to it is I honestly really rate all of them. Um, I enjoy playing most teams that I come across um, and you can always have a bit of fun and a bit of banter on pitch. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. We've got a couple more here. Uh, another question from Jay, actually. Uh, what did you find the most surprising about Quidditch when you were first established?
1: Oh, Again, quite difficult, that one. Um, the most surprising thing would be um, I guess, like, when I joined, it was, like, a season kind of in to, like, Quidditch in the UK as a whole, two seasons in. So, I was surprised that they, you know, because I currently now play trampoline dodgeball. I've gone full Benepe now.
0: There <laughs> we
1: go. I play, I play trampoline dodgeball, right? And why, no, it's that... not, why it's not gone and done its thing, like, I have to travel the bloody Camberley, you know, 45 minutes from my house to go play. And Why it's not taken off here, because they don't have the pioneers or anything. So what I was surprised at is that within two or three seasons, there was a British Quidditch Cup. There was, you know, friendly matches going on. It wasn't just like, oh, we get together and play Quidditch on our own. Like, they really kind of stepped up. And I think, like, people like Ben Morton and, you know, Rob Barringer, like, you know, a big part of that. Angus Barry, you know, people like that, I think, really helped. Leap Quidditch years because I think you know you could still be in that situation now where people kind of play recreationally and that's it, you know, there's no level of competition. So, without those without people like them, like, yeah, so that's what I was surprised at. That I had walked in and there was already sort of this sort of like semi formal setup, if you like.
0: Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I got a final question here from Mr. Thomas Newton (laughs) who would like to know. What is the best Quidditch tournament in history and why is it
1: White Knights? Well, he's damn right it's White Knights, okay? I'm a sufferer Yeah, he's um, Yeah, he's definitely right about that. I think, if I'm honest, the the best tournament experience I've had is probably Gallipoli just because of all the social stuff and everything. But in terms of like a a staple go-to, I like, I have to say I like BQC. I think there's a real sense of kind of community you're you know the first time i went even though it was in batman's back garden you know with curvy pitches. sorry <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's just like a real sense of like the community coming together and that's what i spoke about earlier is that i feel there needs to be more of that that's what's going to keep quidditch going for 10 or 15 20 years from now is like building that you know getting the chance to meet up you know in person to play but also to kind of just like catch up with people you know like i part of the talks i miss is just speaking to loads of people and you know catching up with them so yeah it'd be a bqc i'd say sorry newton <laughs> <laughs>
0: there we go there we go you heard it here first um but yeah we're gonna wrap it up there um but tom this is it's been lovely like so heartwarming it's gone all over the place i mean like on this podcast, we've talked to people who've won like World Cups and national championships and all that, all this glory and things like that. But your story is so, I think, unique within Quidditch, and it's gone—it's real ups and downs, and yeah, so many really strange and elaborate stories along the way. Um, so thank you for sharing all that with us today. It's been amazing.
1: It's not a problem. I so said, all you have to do is win a White Knights, mate, and uh, you got all your glory from that. So take what you can, <laughs> nothing back. I think that's Jack Sparrow, isn't
0: it? I'm going to say yes. Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I
1: don't know. Do your Wikipedia as well. Well, Thanks for having me on, mate. It's been really, really fun.
0: Yep, an evening well spent. Um, we hope you listeners have also enjoyed this episode. If you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the Total Quidditch podcast, please give the Total Quidditch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on there and, of course, giving you a chance to send in more of your mailbag questions for our guests. Uh, Yeah, until next time, keep yourselves safe and live the game. Goodbye.